On October 1st, 1974, a song was released that would top Billboard charts and go on to sell over a million copies. It was a song that pierced through the hearts of busy dads and moms. It was both convicting and depressing. It's known for making grown men cry. The song is Cats in the Cradle. Here's the first verse of the song. My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the chorus goes, And the cat's in the cradle with the silver spoon. The little boy blue and the man on the moon. And when you coming home, Dad? I don't know when. But we'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. And the writer of this song, Harry Chapin, is that his name? I, it's before my time. Okay, Harry Chapin exposes a faulty priority of the father and the inevitable consequences of his choices here. That just as the dad kept putting off spending time with his son to a time when he would have more time, and then by the end of the song, the dad finally retires and he finally has time for his son. And he asks his son if he can spend time with him. And his son responds and says, no, dad, I'm too busy. And he finds out that his son had truly become just like him with no time for that relationship. It's a real tearjerker of a song. It's not one that makes you feel real good about yourself, but it's, it's a great song. We all have wish lists of things that we'd do if only we had more time. That we'd love to play with our kids more, but we do have bills to pay, and so we have to work to pay those bills. We'd love to relax. We'd love to spend time with our spouse, to travel, to garden, to read, to volunteer, and the list can go on and on, and yet still the time slips away. There are different ideas of what being responsible with your time looks like. Is it working long and hard to provide the wants for your family so you can have a comfortable life? Or is it taking a few days off so that you can stop and enjoy the moments that you have right now that are fleeting and never last long enough? If you have kids in the house still, talk to any empty nester, and you'll hear these words. Enjoy these times. Enjoy these years. They go by so fast. It's a balancing act, for sure. Taking time to be with your family is important. But as important as family relationships are, though, there is still a more important relationship. One that's just as easy to put off until eventually it's too late. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. As I read verses 35 through 43 again, and I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. But as I read these verses, listen to how John explains the importance of now, the importance of this moment. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 35. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him. 
Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Father God, these are your words. Your words are true, and your words pierce through our own hearts here this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would remove distractions from us, that you would bring our attention to you, that you would work through your word, that it would accomplish its purpose in our hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Looking back in this chapter, we're given a hint of when this exchange happened. It's shortly after Palm Sunday. The palm branches that were thrown on the ground as Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey still hadn't fully wilted yet. The crowds were wild and they were excited. Their king had come. And the crowd pleaded with their king, Hosanna, save us. And now that he was here, it was only a matter of time before they would be saved. The light had come. And they saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And they saw his miracles. They saw the water turned into wine, the hungry crowds fed with a few loaves of bread and fish, the blind being made to see, the lame being able to walk again, and the dead being raised. And each miracle that Jesus did revealed him as the only begotten Son of God, that he was, in fact, God in the flesh, And now he comes riding in on a donkey, fulfilling prophecies from long ago. He's coming, and he's here. And the anticipation of what would happen next was going through the roof. However, the crowd didn't understand the events that must soon take place. They didn't understand the necessity of it. Jesus mentions in verse 24 that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, into the earth, and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is on his way to be that grain of wheat. His crucifixion and his death were only days away. And so he addresses the crowd. And he says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. The next verse explains why in verse 33. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Jesus came to this earth to die. And he came to be executed on a cross, the most excruciating capital punishment that there was. But it was for this reason that Jesus came. Why, though? It doesn't make sense. He'd never done anything wrong. Why did Christ have to die, and why did he have to die in that way? The answer is because he came to be the light, the true light, that coming into the world enlightens every man. That light that would penetrate That light that would expose, that light that would drive out the darkness in this world. But that light that would also penetrate and expose the darkness that makes its home in our own hearts, the very core of our being. This light has come to show us our sin and just how deep it dwells within us. This light also came to show us the severity and the penalty for sin. It's death. And so Christ died. The payment for sin is death all sin, and every sin, every little sin that we might have, every lie, every crude joke, every oh my God, every lustful thought, every sexual act without your spouse, every wicked deed, every evil desire, each and every failure to follow God and obey Him, no matter how big or how small it may seem to you. Each one of these things is enough to render you guilty, enough for the death penalty. 
and to render you guilty enough for eternal death, for eternity, separated from Christ in hell. The light has come to expose our guilt, to expose the weight of our sin. And all of this was yet to come as Jesus addresses this crowd. He explained to them that he was only going to walk this earth a little while longer and that they wouldn't always see him. And he commands them to walk while you have the light and explains what it means in the next verse. He says, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. This idea of walking involves movement. You can't walk and sit on your rear at the same time. It involves active participation. You can't walk by doing nothing. Walking while you have the light means actively following Jesus as you believe and trust in him. Reading his word and following him in faith and trust. There's a destination to walk towards. However, this destination isn't a place that you and I can walk to. The destination is becoming sons of light. Becoming children of light is only possible through what Christ was about to accomplish, which again was the primary reason that he came. Jesus was going to be lifted up. He was going to be nailed and suspended to a cross, and he was going to die. And just as the grain of wheat bears much fruit after it dies, Christ, through his death, would bear much fruit. It was Christ's death that cleansed the world of sin. It was Christ's death that accomplished forgiveness. It was Christ's death that allows you, me, and every sinner to live and to go free, to become children of light, no matter how dark our past, no matter how dark our hearts still are. But he came to bring life. And this life comes to you through faith in him, by believing in Jesus, by believing that this light what this light came to reveal, your sin. And as we confess it, and as we believe that his death was for my sin, and we have trust and faith in him, then we are sons of the light. When we believe his death is for you, and we are forgiven of all of our sins through his blood, which came to forgive sins. And as we believe and hold fast these truths again, we are sons of light. And the light has come, and it has come to you. Christ is here. Believe in him and walk while you have the light. Since we could control the lights in the gym, a friend and I had a great idea. I won't call it a bright idea, but it was a great idea. We were going to try to play racquetball in the dark. We started with the lights on, and then we turned them off once we launched the ball against the wall. Bouncing around somewhere in that cage was a squishy round missile that was out to seek and to destroy. <laughs> and also hidden in that room was another player who was standing about my height, a lot stronger than I am, with a racket in his hand, wanting to put a great swing on this ball that he has no idea where it is, and no idea where I was either. It's a recipe for disaster. We were terrified. As you might have guessed, we didn't get a whole game in, let alone one single point in, because we were too afraid. It was impossible to see anything. Without the light, we simply couldn't play. The light was necessary. And we had access to the light switch, so we could decide when we wanted the lights on and when we wanted the lights off. We could decide if we wanted to play in the light or in the dark. 
But the light that Jesus is talking about here in John 12 isn't connected to any fluorescent bulbs. It's not connected to any electrical circuit. The light that he's talking about is himself. It's Jesus. And we don't have the power or the authority to decide when he comes and when he goes. That doesn't stop us from trying, though, does it? The words of the hymn that we just sang reflect that tendency in our own heart. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Some more convenient, Jesus, when I'm ready for you, you're always going to be there for me and then I'm going to come for you. But not until I'm ready. And we think that it depends entirely on us. We assume that we'll have an unlimited amount of time to walk in the light. We assume that we'll always be able to believe in Jesus and become sons of light whenever we feel like it. We're convinced that we still have time, whether that time is days, months, years, or decades down the road. We see the light, yet rather than live and walk in the light while we have the light, we push it off and we choose to still live in darkness. We choose to still cling to sin, to disobey what God has called us to do. As John records this account for us, he shares some cold, hard truths in verse 36. Truths that I don't like, and truths that I'm sure you don't like either. But Jesus spoke, and he went away, and he hid himself from them. Jesus' public ministry ended that day. That would be the last time that they would ever hear from Jesus speaking to them. He wouldn't teach in the synagogue again to the masses, just with a select few. And John writes in verse 37 that even though they saw the signs, that even though they saw the miracles that Christ did to proclaim, or to produce faith in these sinners, that they were not believing in him. They were not believing because they continued to not believe. They simply would not. In light of all the evidence that Jesus was giving to them, all the proof of his divinity, they still would not believe in him. It's another fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah that many would not believe. And in verse 39, that truth gets colder. And that truth gets much more harder for us to swallow. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. After their continual rejection of Jesus, there, come, there came a time when God said enough was enough. And all of a sudden, after hardening their, hardening their hearts for so long, there comes a time where God comes and he hardens their hearts. Friends, the same is true today for those who continue to reject God and those who continue to cling to the darkness rather than the light. There may come a time when we will find no repentance and no forgiveness, even though just like Esau did, we seek it with tears streaming down our face. It won't be a matter of feeling sorry over our sin anymore or feeling broken over our sin anymore. It will be too late. It'll be a matter of God removing his grace. For those who continue to reject his grace in the present, there comes a time when he brings judgment instead of grace. When he hardens hearts, 
just as he did to Pharaoh, and just as he did to all of these Jews who constantly and consistently would not believe in him. Our text ends with many rulers believing in Jesus, and yet still, because of fear of the Pharisees, and because of fear of being kicked out of the community, they kept it to themselves. They didn't fear love and trust in God above all things. Instead, they loved the approval of men more so than the approval of God. It's easy to fear men over and above God because we've convinced ourselves that there's always tomorrow. We've convinced ourselves that we can get right with God at a, more, a later date. And so in the meantime, just do what feels comfortable. We tell ourselves there's always tomorrow, there's always a second chance, there's always a third chance and a fourth chance. So it really doesn't matter how we live our lives. Yet here it's clear and plain as day that we will not always have the light. And the darkness seeks to overtake you. The darkness is actively seeking to overtake you to distract you, to give you empty promises, to assure you that there's always more time. And as your eyes get accustomed to the darkness, you begin to tell yourself, I don't need the light. I'm perfectly fine on my own. And you continue to reject the grace that Christ has come to bring until that day when God brings our own judgment upon our own heads. However, that time remains in the future. Knowing what is to come and knowing that we are not guaranteed time on this earth, Jesus still comes to you in his grace today. In his grace and in his mercy, he calls you to believe in the light so that you might be sons of light. And Christ cries out in the next verse. He says, he who believes in me doesn't believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who has sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. And the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. In other words, the light has come to bring life and salvation to call us out of darkness and into the light, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. And everyone who believes in him is a son of light and has eternal life and forgiveness. But to those who reject Christ and reject his message, they're bringing their own judgment upon themselves. And they only have themselves to blame. So where are you this morning? Do you recognize that you've refused to walk in the light and that you have rejected God in the past? Know that today he comes to you in his grace and he is inviting you, even you, to believe in him, to continue in his grace, to be a son of light. And if that thought of the future judgment scares you, then continue in his grace and continue to walk in the light while you have the light and believe and trust in Christ crucified for you and repent of your sin and receive his grace through his word and through his sacrament. It's too late to change anything about the past, but you've been given today, and you have this moment, and you have now, but now doesn't last forever. So the question comes, what will you do with now? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for each and every moment that you give us in our lives. 
knowing that each and every moment, Father, you give to us is grace. It's pure grace. We don't deserve it. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see you as the one who brings grace and help us to respond to you, Lord, to not be almost persuaded, but to be persuaded that you would call us out and to believe in you and what you have done in order to save us. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning or anyone who eventually hears this message that they would come to you by grace through faith, that they would be saved through your word, that you would make each one of us here today children of light, that we would be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.